Good morning. Uh, The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 4, and it's verses 42 through 44, so you can follow along on the screen there. Um, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Thank you, Amy. Oh, I don't know if you like really good food, if you like fine cooking and that kind of thing, if watching cooking shows uh, really whets your appetite and is your thing. Uh, you might like the movie 100-Foot Journey. Uh, this, it's been around for a few years, but uh, it's a story about this family that has to flee India, has to flee them because of political violence that has destroyed their thriving restaurant business and also killed their mother. And they're driving through, traveling through Europe, and uh, a chance car accident lands them in a small countryside village in France, and they decide to set up their restaurant business there. And of course, there's a lot of drama with how that unfolds and, uh, and ups and downs, but the son, the oldest son in the family, turns out to be an excellent cook. And there's another great restaurant in the, in the small town. They compete with them a little bit, to make an understatement. And, uh, but he learns from their chef and learns from their, their cooks and becomes fantastic. He gets whisked away to Paris because he's so talented. And being in Paris, he is an instant hit. Uh, he has just this, this blend of creativity and ingenuity and skill, and everything he makes is a sensation. He is successful beyond anything he imagined. And you would think that that would, like, thrill his soul. But after a while, I mean, we've heard stories of people who go off to the big city, and it doesn't turn out the way they thought, and they think, oh, I just want to go home, Right? Well, this guy, everything goes the way he wanted it to be. And after a while, he's realizing that it never stops. That the Parisians will constantly want more and more ingenuity, more and more of him, more and more things that are different and delicious and, and all of this. And it just never ends. He starts, to get, he starts to be a lot more stressed. He starts to live a life of, uh, starts to drink a lot more. And he starts to wonder if his family, you know, would take him back in a sense. And so he decides to go back because even having everything that he ever could have wanted wasn't going to satisfy him for some reason. Now, and of course, when he goes back, he wins the girl and they get a third Michelin star for the restaurant. If you know what those are, that's really good. And uh, it's an amazing thing. At least I think they do. Uh, But uh, it's a great story, fantastic story. But, you know, we resonate that, you know, resonate with that. When we're made, because we're made, in God's image. We are designed with a purpose that is bigger than what we see in day-to-day life. We're built with a purpose that's bigger than all of that, uh, bigger than performing and pleasing and making money. And and, in that process, however, of of even if you're if you are successful, of walking away from that for something more important can be incredibly difficult. But from an objective standpoint, we'd all say, yeah, that's important. It's important not just to pursue money for money's sake or pursue power for power's sake or to pursue success for success's sake, right? Um, But sometimes when we're caught in it, it's harder than we would think otherwise to get out of it and find what our real purpose is and to live that out. 
So we're looking at Jesus in his life, and we do this at King's Cross because we believe that Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the words that he had to teach uh, are, are sig- incredibly significant. We gather around who he is and what he taught so that we can know him better because we believe that he can change us in ways we want to be changed, in ways that the world needs to be changed. So last week we looked at Jesus going to his hometown, Nazareth, and he wowed them at first, but then eventually they rejected him. In fact, they wanted to drive him off a cliff and kill him. That did not turn out well. So he moves on to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, uh, he also is received very well. He, he has great success, and the people don't want to kill him. They don't want him to leave. And so how does he deal with that? How does he deal with the success of things going so well that people just want him to stay there when he knows he's built for something bigger? He knows he's sent. He knows that he's sent for something more than that. So Jesus had because of his success, a chance to forget the poor, the weak, the blind, the sick, the lame, everyone who doesn't know him. But even in the midst of success, he loved the weak, the poor, the blind, everybody. He loved them anyway. He went to them anyway. His love was stronger than his desire to succeed. So we're going to look at this and uh, look at the system of success. We're going to look at the mission to which God's called us and the man uh, of Jesus himself. So the, the system, the mission, and the man. Uh, I looked for another M that worked, an M word for system, and it didn't work. So you just have to deal with it. The system, the mission, and the man. Uh, but it is, it is a system. It is a powerful system. And let's look at the context of this passage. Jesus goes to Capernaum. He heals. He teaches. And they, they say, whoa, who is this guy teaching? He, we've never heard teaching like this. It's like teaching uh, from someone who has authority that we've never seen before. And he casts demons out of, of people. He heals the sick. Uh, one of the first nights he's there, word spreads about who he is and what he's done. And they, the whole town brings everyone who is sick, who has a broken leg, who has been uh, infirm, infirmed from birth, brings everybody to him to be healed, and he stays up almost all night healing them. And the next morning, right, the next morning he wakes up and he goes out by himself. He goes out by himself to pray. And while he's there, his disciples go looking for him. This is the first sign of the system of success, because it is a system, it is a force because there were people demanding Jesus. And so the disciples hear this, and Jesus is not there, but the force says, no, we must have this man. We must have this and experience this together. And so the disciples feel compelled, otherwise they probably would have left Jesus alone, compelled to go and get him. Say, hey, what are you doing? This, you need to be here. Yesterday, last night went great. There's so much more we can do. Let's keep rolling down this path. This is fantastic. Um, but... The people sought him, they came to him, they would have kept him from leaving, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. He knew that there was a system. He knew that there was a force that he would have to work through and against, and we have that too, and we experience it just as well. Uh, And so as we look at Jesus, as he addresses this, uh, I think it'll help us um, find God and find ultimate satisfaction for our souls in the midst of everything the world can throw at us. So, again, he's here in Capernaum, he's new, uh, and he's not there to achieve success, but to heal and preach the good news, but he becomes successful anyway. And you might say that there's a lot of arguments for why he should stay, right? 
Uh, Hamilton is a musical that has become, uh, it's been very famous for a number of years now. I can't remember when it started. Uh, Playbill.com says that it uh, has been running for almost 1,500 shows uh, on Broadway as of the end of last year. 1,500 shows Hamilton has done, just, can, just running and is still going. They will do productions off Broadway, but they're not going to leave Broadway anytime soon, right? They're gonna, it's, it's a good thing. You don't leave Broadway when you found a good thing. But Phantom of the Opera is, you know, dwarfs Hamilton. They've gone for over 12,000, almost 13,000 shows. And it just goes to show the power of, hey, when something is going really well, why would you leave? You, just think of all the people that will come to you. Think of all the people that will come to you and then go back to other parts of the world. You can influence the world by just staying right where you are, they might say. Because Capernaum, let me tell you a little bit, was on uh, a very significant lake, and you could travel by boat to many different communities in the, in the region, fairly simply. It was also along a major highway. And so you could get to many, many places in the region there, in the, in the world, through Capernaum. It's a very strategic place to set up shop if you want to influence the world. But there's something more to it, and I'll get to that much later. Jesus knew that it wasn't everything that it seemed like on the outside. And before you knew it, there was this system. There was this gravitational pull. And this gravitational pull, it places demands on us. It can cloud our purpose in life. And we can find ourselves with just a little bit of success, or maybe with the promise of success just beyond our reach. If we just stretch a little bit more, we can have it. And we can find ourselves changing our lives in significant ways that if we thought about it beforehand, we wouldn't ever have done it. But when we're in the middle of it, we're willing to do it. Uh, Dr. Steve Childers is one of the most underrated and like lesser-known uh, seminary professors and experts on church planting. He's been a part. He's uh, like no one knows who he is. I mean, I do, but uh, not many people know who he is, not as much as Tim Keller. But he's been a part of hundreds, if not thousands, of church plants. Uh, he's, he's taught and sent so many church planters. Um, and he talks about this in the life of church planting, as well as in, it applies to the rest of us, too. But there's this demon goddess of success. This de- it's an imaginary demon goddess, right? But there's a, still this force that he's describing. And in order to have success or keep success, he says that what this demon goddess will say is, okay, you can have this, you can keep this, just give me, give me just your free time. You know, all the extra things you used to do for fun, this is more important right now. So just forget that and, and, and give me your free time and you'll be successful or you'll keep the success you have. And then after that, the demon goddess wants another sacrifice, wants your rest time. So there's no margin at all in your life, but you're just going from one thing to another to another. You're not really getting any downtime. And then uh, he asks this demon goddess, asks you to sacrifice your sleep so that you're staying up later and waking up earlier. And, uh, and that's influencing, that has a domino effect on so many things in your life. Then the, the demon goddess of success will ask you to sacrifice time with friends and family and then ask you to sacrifice your marriage. And then even ask you to sacrifice your health, even your body, for the sake of having success, obtaining it, or keeping it. And it's a very real force. We can see this in the lives of so many people around us. You might know someone who, maybe you see them going through this right now. Maybe you feel it a little bit too. And as we follow Jesus, it's really important to look at this. Like, this is not just a life management talk, right? But when we 
you know, when we fall in love with Jesus, we want to get to know him better. We want to spend time with him. We want to make, make sure that our lives honor him in every way possible. We want to be a light to our neighbors and coworkers. We want to, yeah, let's invite that person over. Let's be strategic about this and this. And, and, uh, and I'm going to spend more time studying the, the Bible, spend more time praying. I'm going to do all these things. But all it takes is just a little bit of, of recognition by our peers or our coworkers for something we've done well. Or we see our kids doing something really well. And, 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 or anything along those lines, any little taste of success. And we follow that just to make it a little bit better. And suddenly our schedules and our calendars, our, our priorities are filled for us. And at the end of the week, we're like, where did the time go? I feel like I've just run from one thing to another to another. And our purpose can get cloudy. Now, I want to say really quick before we go on, I'll say it once, that success in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not. Success is often given. Uh, and I forget who said it, but uh, if you aim for heaven often you'll get earth thrown in with it. But if you aim for earth, you'll get neither. Right? And success in itself is not a bad thing, but it is, it is seductive. And if we follow, if we make decisions on how we should live our lives and where we should go next, what we should do next, based on what is going well, instead of setting that aside and saying, okay, maybe that's a path to go down. Maybe that's what we should do. But as Proverbs says, Seek wisdom first. Seek God first. And then all those other things will begin to make sense. All right? So success in itself is not bad, but it can lure us into doing things that we'll later regret. Uh, and we, we find that, you know, all of a sudden we're living a life that, whoa, I didn't plan this. So just because something is going well doesn't mean that's where we should put more of our time and energy. Um, it, Tavi Gevinson is a prodigy blogger. She was recognized at the age of 12, was editor of an online magazine at the age of 15, and she says, fame isn't a hug, it's a dangling carrot saying, I'm about to go away. Um, uh, others, uh, other celebrities had similar things to say as well. Uh, so just ask yourself, in what ways is the system of success pulling on you in your life? Did you know it? Do you feel it? Um, the success you do experience, do you feel that pull on you to, to do more, uh, to maintain that level, to maintain those relationships where, where you're popular, to maintain the areas, uh, the extra things you do at work to give you that competitive edge? Like, is that making you sacrifice important things? And I also want to say, maybe I recognize there may be people here who are going through a really, really hard time and feel like nothing is succeeding. Everything is broken. Everything is not going well. And if that's the case, first of all, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that it's hard. Um, and I, I, I also want to say in that, I mean, first, Jesus is the first place you want to go because he is the ultimate comfort and comforter for those who are going through a hard time. But I think Jesus also warns us that it's actually when we're the most weakest and the most hungry for success that we're the most vulnerable to the, to the allurement of success. That, that we're the most vulnerable to being willing to sacrifice everything we have to have a taste of things going better. And Jesus is saying, no, I really am enough. I am enough. And the system makes conditional promises that our hearts long for. Jesus is saying, I am the thing that will ultimately satisfy your heart. So there is, so first, the system. Uh, but in order to beat the system, we need two things. And that's my next two points. One, we need to be connected to a sense of mission that's bigger than the system of success. We need to be connected to a mission that's bigger than the system itself. 
right? Uh, Jesus had a calling, and so do we. The mission is not just what we're supposed to do, by the way. The mission that God gives us is a part of who we are. And so when we're on that mission, like, there'll be, everything will begin to feel right. The world on the outside might say, what are you doing? But, but it's who we're made to do. In Genesis 1 and 2, uh, it says we're made in God's image, and Adam is told to remember God's gracious provision and his kingship, to communicate his gracious provision and kingship to his wife Eve, and he failed to do that. Like, that was pretty much his mission. Remember what I've told you, tell it to Eve, and he dropped the ball on both of those. And he failed to speak up again, even while Eve was being tempted. If you look at the passage in Genesis 3, it looks like Adam was there with Eve. And they were deceived by falser and lesser promises. Well, Jesus comes as the second Adam. He, he's the ultimate uh, Adam, the one who also represents all mankind, to communicate God's gracious provision and kingship. And so he does it so that, because we've been deceived by lesser promises, but so that we might not be in the future deceived by lesser promises, that we can remember God's gracious provision and kingship. And the good news of the kingdom of God is what he came to deliver, right? So here in this passage, he came to, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, good news is meant, news is meant to be delivered. And you might watch local news, you might watch national news, and sometimes news is just boring, but you find yourself watching it anyway because it just gives you a sense of what's going on. Like, there's a certain value in that, right? But there's some news that's life-changing. Maybe, some, maybe there's someone in this room who remembers and listening, remembers listening to uh, President Roosevelt's address on December 7th, 1941, uh, announcing the Pearl Harbor attack, and we're going into war now. Maybe you remember when, though, when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Uh, maybe, maybe you remember hearing the news of the Twin Towers being hit, or maybe you remember the news of, uh, of, or even heard, Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech. There's some news that is life changing. When, when Caesar Augustus, years, thousand, two thousand years ago, was born, there was an announcement given, and it was news, and it was the, the word used was gospel. Now, this is the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the good news about what? That he is king, that he's been born. And, and it's, good, it's not good advice, it's good news, it's a proclamation of who is really king. And of course, Caesar Augustus would never be the king that, that Jesus is, because he's the king of kings. But the, the uh, propaganda was that, hey, life is going to be so much better with Caesar Augustus in charge. And, you know, on the side, you better make sure your allegiances are in the right place. <laughs> and, but it's good news, it's a proclamation, it's life-changing. But... You know, the amazing thing about Jesus coming to earth is that so many of us, I fully recognize that so many of us don't know what to do with the idea that, that God is our Father. So many of us don't know what to do with that. I mean, it, maybe you were blessed to have a Father who, who was amazing in every way, a Father who, who was caring and provided for you and understanding and loved you and, and was warm and, and strong. And, I mean, everything you'd want a Father to be, but maybe you had a Father who was something less than that. And maybe as a result, when you hear about God being your father, you're like, okay, that doesn't really mean anything to me, or maybe I'd rather not think of him that way. Uh, or maybe it's almost impossible to think of him as your father. But one of the amazing things about the good news of Jesus is that the father has shown himself to us in who Jesus is, that God reveals his character the Father reveals his character through the Son. 
that we see who God really is. That, that yes, God is, the Father is all-powerful, but he, we see what his all-powerfulness means when we see Jesus heal with his power. When we see Jesus spend time with those who are not powerful themselves. We know that, that God is the Father's all-knowing, oh, all-knowing, but we see what that really means. When we know that Jesus knows people, he knows sinners better than even they know themselves, and yet he loves them and spends time with them, despite what others think. We might know that God is holy, that he's pure, and not know what that is, but then we see that in the person of Jesus and how he spent time with lepers and all the others who were outcast because they were unclean. He spent time with them to make them clean. We see the glory of the Father and how Jesus was willing to leave fame and praise so that the blind, the deaf, the crippled, the weak, the wounded, the sick in every, every town might be healed and forgiven, made to see, made to hear, and made not just to walk, but to dance. Have you ever seen when, when Jesus heals a cripple, how often they don't just, like, just get up and walk. They, they dance, they leap. It's more than just healing. So Jesus, yes, was going to intentionally go to other towns because no one town could keep him. He went to towns that, that didn't even know him, that they wouldn't roll out the red carpet for him. Some were even hostile to him, but he went anyway. He loved them anyway because that's what he was sent to do because his news was bigger than Broadway. The good news is bigger than anything the world can give us as far as a definition of success. He came to seek and save the loss. Now, it can be so easy to put the institution of the church first. And I think that's what, what the people in Capernaum wanted. I think that's what the disciples were thinking we were going to do. We were going to make like the best synagogue ever because we've got Jesus as our rabbi. And people are going to come from all over the world. People are going to come and, and they're going to see who this Jesus is and they're going to go home and they're going to tell everybody. But the problem with that plan as great as Capernaum is, as great a trade center and middle of everywhere it is, you know, the only people who would actually pass through would be those wealthy enough to travel. The only people to pass through would be those who were powerful enough and influential enough to have reason to do business there or along the way. And those who could not afford or those who were not powerful would not be making their way through. Jesus went to the weak. He went to them. He, he resisted the urge to set up an institution so that he could be there face to face with those who were hurting. And I know it's been in the news a lot lately that uh, all kinds of abuse going on in churches around America and certainly around the world too. It is a problem. And there are a lot of reasons why we have very particular rules that we follow here at King's Cross. We, have a, we do background checks, we have safety training, we do all kinds of things to make sure kids here are safe, that no adult's ever alone with a child, all those things. But what we've seen lately, haven't we, if you've been following it, is that it takes a media organization to uncover that abuse allegations have been covered up that abuse allegations have been, have been met with statements like, well, you wouldn't want one little mistake to ruin that person's entire life, would you? Statements like, well, you should just forgive them and move on when a child has been abused. Or, or something like, well, this church can't handle a scandal like this right now. And so the weak are suppressed for the sake 
of the powerful. And Jesus came for the opposite. He came for the abused. He came for those who were silenced. He came for those who were weak, for the poor. And the same way he sends us to look for those who are silenced, to look for those who are abused, those who, even to look for those who aren't going to come here. And whether, they, whether we can bring them here successfully or not, we're still sent to bring the love of God and the peace that Christ brings to them. Uh, to draw them into our community if we can, in whatever way. We're not bound as we start this church. In fact, our, our primary goal, I'm asked every now and then when we're going to have a building, and our primary goal is not just to have a building. God may bless us with a building as we follow him. I don't know. And, but that's not the most important thing. If that was the most important thing, uh, then I wouldn't want to be a part of this church. And I don't, I don't think if you really thought about the consequences of that, you would want to be either. No, if God blesses us with a building, great. But right now, we, we believe that we're here. Our primary mission as those who are followers of Christ is to go and to bring this good news to those who need it the most. Uh, so we need a mission that transcends the system. And it does transcend the system. It is bigger than Broadway. It is bigger than the system. But we also need, thirdly, to be connected to someone who transcends the system. And that's why Jesus went away to pray. Uh, Luke's gospel doesn't say that uh, Jesus went away to pray, uh, but we get that from the other gospels, that Jesus was there alone to pray. And other times when we see that Jesus goes out alone to pray, it's so that he can be reminded of his relationship with his heavenly Father. That he can be reminded of, of, of what that relationship is uh, really all about, be reminded of what his mission is, all those, all those things. He needs to be reminded. And again, this, this is something that, that we need to adjust our sense of reality and to understand reality more fully as it is. Um, because this system will mistreat us. This system can, can traumatize us. This system can make it, to be honest, make it hard for us to understand God's love. And anybody who, who has been abused will know that it's hard to, to understand closeness in relationship after that point. That's one of the profound damages that, uh, that abuse of any kind does. It makes it difficult to know what an intimate relationship really is supposed to be like, what, what even close friendship is supposed to be like after that point. And, and, and by the way, if you're here and you have any of that in your background, first, that breaks my heart to hear that. Second, I'm so glad that you're here, but it's a, I am so proud of you for coming because of all the different things that maybe you've been thinking God the Father is. It must have taken a lot of courage to come in through this door uh, to hear more about him. I mean, yes, you're thirsty for him. And, and yes, maybe authority has been uh, totally, totally uh, misused by the people in your life. But I want you to see that the King of kings and Lord of lords will not abuse his authority over you. That, that he, in fact, allowed himself to be abused that you might be lifted up. It's this love that Jesus experiences with the Father, that this love that, uh, that is perfect, this love that is unlike anything the world can offer. It's not, like, it's not anything conditional. It's something much better. 
Jesus, yes, he goes out to the wilderness. He goes out to a place where he knows he's not going to be distracted. Uh, the wilderness all throughout Scripture is this place where, yes, there's, there are no conveniences, but it's also a place where you go and be reminded of what's real. I, I, can't, I don't think I mentioned this yet. Raise your, raise your hand if I already gave this story today. I'm losing track. But th- there are these places. There's this place called the prison inside me. I, okay. Uh, a place where for $90 a night, and maybe it's gone up in, in price, I'm not sure, but for $90 a night, someone bought uh, an old prison. And for $90 a night, if your life is chaotic, if, you're work, if you work too much, if things are stressful, for $90 a night, you can be locked into solitary confinement for 24 hours. They'll take away your phone. Uh, they'll give you minimal food. Uh, they'll give you, you sleep on the floor, and there'll be a toilet in your cell, and that's it. And people who go sometimes come back because they feel like the life that they have is so overwhelming, is, is so demanding. The person who started this, her husband was a prosecutor who would work 100-hour weeks and said something like, I, you'd have to lock me up for me to have rest ever. And so, here you go, honey. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. I bought us a prison. Uh, and you can stay there as much as you want. You know, so, but people who go there say, this is not the prison. They say the prison is what I'm going back to. You know, they, they feel that pull, and they know they need solitude. They need something like that. And, and hey, if you need a little bit of solitude, maybe you don't need a jail cell, I don't know, but, um, but spend time alone with the Father. If you, if you don't do anything else, if you don't know how to reprioritize your life, I mean, I don't typically give you how-tos from the pulpit here, but if, if you need help, just start with spending time with the Father. Seek Him. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for advice. Ask Him for guidance. Ask Him to change your priorities. Ask Him, because all these priorities take place where? They don't take, just, take place just in our minds. They take place first in our hearts, and we need our hearts changed. Because why? Why is it so hard? Because our hearts are drawn to success. Our hearts are drawn to what success can bring. And fa- the Father that we have can show us the truth that He is better, truly not just a better fit for our souls, but he is better in every way than anything the world can offer. And Jesus knew. He, Jesus was fully God, also fully man. He never sinned, but he knew what temptation felt like. And he, he understands what that, that draw is. The, the night that he was betrayed, he's praying alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asked his closest disciples, stay awake and pray with me. Because he, he was feeling the urge to run away. He was feeling the urge maybe not to run away. Maybe, you know, he could have said the word and they would have put a golden crown on his head. He could have used his powers to annihilate the Roman army. He could have been an earthly king and have everything that the devil offered him in the previous chapter. But he knew that he wasn't here to be that kind of king. But to be the kind of king who could rise the, raise the weak up from where they are. And to do that, he'd be the kind of king that took on a cross. That was willing to be led, not just out in the wilderness, but outside the city of Jerusalem to a cross there. A time where, he would, he was, the time he spent there was much different than we would consider triumphant. In fact, he gave up his power and was willing to be nailed to a cross outside the city. So that we who are lowly, could be lifted up. Now, all these things, 
all these things really begin and end with him. You know, we, we, to, we need to look to him to have this sense of mission. Uh, David Pallison, I'll, um, I'll mention this really quick. David Pallison says, one of the most basic questions which God poses to each human heart, he says, has something or someone besides Jesus the Christ taken title to your heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? Questions bring some of the people, uh, people's idol systems to the surface. Who, what, uh, what all do you look for in life-sustaining stability, security, and acceptance? Or for those things? What do you really want and expect out of life? What would really make you happy? What would make you an acceptable person? Where do you look for power and success? These questions or similar ones tease out whether we serve God or idols, whether we look for salvation from Christ or from false saviors. And this bears on the immediate motivation of my behavior, thoughts, and feelings. So as we ask these questions, we look again to Christ, the one who is greater than the systems, who proved he was greater than the systems, who gave up success and was called a failure that we might receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. Only the cross can empower us to let go of something really good for something eternally exquisite. To deny our own thirst for power will feel less like a positive life change, it'll feel more like death. It'll feel like a cross. But when we look to Jesus and we see one who gave up his power that we might be clothed with power from on high, one who gave up his health and his body, not for success, but for us, that we could be one with the Father, that we could know his love, that we could live with hope, and that that hope would overflow into those around us, into the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us as you do, that you show us who you are through the person of Jesus, not just through the words that you've given us in the Holy Scriptures, but also through who Jesus is and what he did. Father, I pray, yes, you'd help us to reorganize our lives, but Father, push all those good things out and as you do that, push it out by helping us see how much better you are. Help us to truly believe and to grow in believing that all these other things are, are not nearly as good as knowing you. Father, I pray that, that I, as I've mentioned a number of other things in this sermon, that, that you would bring healing to many of our hearts. Father, many of us have been beaten up and spit out by the world as we've pursued success of many, of many kinds. Many of us have been beaten up and spit out and would love nothing more than to have success finally, someday. Father, I pray that you would meet us, especially those who are hurting. Meet us and show us there's nothing that will, that will heal us like you. Father, we ask this for your glory because you deserve it. And in your name of your son, Jesus, amen.